Welcome to the Interior Design Podcast. We have just recorded ourselves for the last 10 minutes talking about the catch-up for the week and realised we hadn't turned the on switch on the microphone. Well done us. Oh, good start. Really good start. Happy New Year. 2024. We're back. So... How are you? What are you working on at the Good, I'm good. I, mean, I feel like I haven't seen you for ages. We were just saying, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. Literally for the last 10 minutes. When we thought we had the microphone on. Um, <laughs> no, I'm really good. I'm really good. I had a really nice couple of weeks off at Christmas. Um, work's been a bit mental. I think I mentioned last year when we were doing the last podcast that um, I'm doing some quite um, in-depth design management at the moment on a quite big hotel in London, um, which is quite challenging but really good um i was saying um to someone the other day that i kind of wish though that the new year can we just make it a thing i think it needs to be a stat like an industry standard that the first week back in the new year isn't a thousand miles an hour <laughs> like it would be really nice to just come back and then have like three or four days of just a gentle build up to you know the level that you were working at before you know the, the run up to christmas is always like Ins- insane mm. it's always insane and every year i say the same thing i'm like i'm going to take a week off before christmas so i can actually enjoy the run-up to the festive period and start getting a bit christmasy and festive it never happens i'm always running around like a headless chicken um and then yeah you get back in the new year and it's like bang straight back in and it's quite <laughs> stressful i find it quite stressful i think a lot of people do that though because it doesn't really ramp up for me until like people don't start really going at me until like the second week of january and then everyone starts coming you. out yeah of but the, i the thought about this the other day when i was having a bit of a moan in my head about for god's sake why can't the first week just be nice and chilled and i was thinking yeah when like i remember obviously when i was you know working with you that the the first couple of weeks of january are always quite a nice kind of a bit of a slower burn but yeah, it's been mental, but it's all good. As I say, it's... Um, You're working for the contractor, aren't you? Yeah, and it's keeping me, you know, it's it's keeping me on my toes, which is really good. So lots of drawing work to do, lots of procurement stuff to do and dealing with a lot of, um, uh, you know, um, consultants as well, which is cool. So yeah, it's going to be amazing. So I've got that. And then I mentioned that I'm um, helping out, you know, on the free time that I do have at weekends and stuff. I'm helping out a friend of mine, who's got a little deli in um, the town that I live um, and he's opening opening a little cafe. So I'm just helping him whilst he's sunning himself in Australia at the moment for a month by just clearing the unit for him nice. and, you know, getting some prep work done and stuff in the evenings and weekends. It's always nice when you get involved in a hands-on project like yeah, that. Yeah, I really love it? it. I really love it. Yeah, and actually it's quite nice when I, I quite like working on things where I'm helping people like that because I don't feel the I don't feel the pressure because I'm I'm not getting paid for it. Like I'm doing it as a favour, do you know what I mean? So it's nice to just yeah, I don't feel like there's any pressure on me and which is really nice. It's quite conducive for to my way my brain works. <laughs> I just um, finished a project at the end of last year when you were saying about how mental it was before Christmas. Yeah. I literally finished this on the 22nd of December. Yeah. And it was so... It's it's a local project. It's called Dukes in St. Osith. And it's such a... The, the people who own it are so lovely. I've They've just let me design it. Mm-hmm. And I've designed and project managed it. And it just looks amazing. 
The owners as well are really lovely of Jukes and she's a brilliant chef and he's just really methodical. So I'm really hoping that it, they do well because they're oh, so God. lovely. I think I reckon they will because um, it's so local. I'm like, I love it when I do local projects because yeah. I can go and eat in there. Like we did the noodle bar last year as well and we've been going in there and every time I go in there they go, this is my designer. Oh, and they always introduce me to a couple nicest, of the customers. It? It's so nice. Yeah, um, but yeah, now we're doing... Um, a race course at the moment doing all of the race course which is really making me happy i did a, a nice um elevation drawing yesterday and i colored it colored it all in in photoshop and i love doing stuff like that yeah um and lots of mood boards yeah. um yeah so we're, we're doing a lot at the moment we're really busy i think we've probably got enough work for the next six weeks um italian restaurant as well we're doing fratelli's which we did the upstairs they've got an upstairs called fratelli, fratelli's cicchetti in amped hill um and tanya yeah, yeah. who used to work for harp did the design <laughs> yeah and so they called me the other day and said can you do the downstairs so oh, nice. with that um doing a pub in bedford as well um what else oh, golf club local oh, golf club so yeah lots of projects going on That's awesome. so yeah i'm yeah busy happy very happily busy so yeah so who have we got today today we have spencer and james from i live mm -hmm. um james is our local rep um or he is the key account manager mm -hmm. and uh spencer is the commercial director and apparently spencer is a right geek we've not met spencer before um but apparently he's the best person to educate everyone on the podcast so because they've got such a lovely collection of fabrics um, very, you know, hugely diverse collection. It'd yeah. be really cool to hear, hear what they've got to yeah, say. They do, they do curtain fabric and upholstery fabric as well, and they've got lots of patterns and planes and all sorts of different things. They're quite a big company, so yeah, yeah I'm excited to hear what they've got to say. Cool. <laughs> Let's bring them in, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> shall we let them in? Let's let them in. Welcome to the Interior Design Podcast. Today our guests are Spencer Brennand and James Vardy from iLive. Spencer Brennand is the Commercial Director at iLive and James is the Key Account Manager. Welcome guys. Hi. Morning. So, how was your journey guys? <laughs> it was okay, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, Spencer's come down from Preston um, and I live in Nottingham, so we've come down and stayed overnight specifically to do your podcast. Oh my God, I'm so honoured. Thank yeah. you for coming. I've not been snowed in, which is good. Yet. Yet. Touch wood. But did have to wait 20 minutes for me to turn up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the chime. Yeah. So how long have you guys worked for iLive? I've been there now just under 14 years. Wow. So, so straight out of university. What did so, you do at uni? Uh, marketing at Lancaster. Yeah. Uh, seems ages ago now. Yeah. Uh, we had, um, luckily enough, met uh, Jason, our CEO, you know, how these things work, conversation, and then luckily enough had an interview and worked on a, another area of the business originally, and then had the opportunity at that time, we had a brand called Swatchbox. And then my main project at that time was kind of doing the transition from what was Swatchbox then to where we are today with, with I Live and grown since then, doing different things. Wow to kind of now effectively my, my role as commercial director is everything to do with uh, new product and 
product development. So I work very closely with our design studio at SMD. I live in Preston and then um, a lot with our quality team and I spend a lot of time with our suppliers and supplier management and, and that side of the role. So yeah, it's quite varied. I enjoy cool. it. How about you, James? How long have you been there? Uh, this is coming up to 11 years now. So I uh, left college, went into, I mean, going back to the late 80s now, um, going back, doing net curtains for a few years, then went to work for Ashley Wild Group for a few years. It was about five or six years. Um, and then was national sales manager for a couple of ready-made curtain companies. Rectella um, was one of them. And then decided to set my own business up called curtains to go online in 2000 and I did that for 11, 12 years and then came back to work for uh, SMD, I live and was doing the retail side for four years and then made the switch to contract and never looked back really and I love contract. So we see a lot of James. Yes. Very, very cool in our office. Next. Every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so James, tell us a little bit about I live. Um, so iLive um, has been going as a company, it's called SMD Group. So iLive is a brand within SMD. So as a brand, iLive is now 11 years old. The company is about 36 years old. Um, we have two sides to the business. We have the iLive fabric side, which is the contract and retail. And then we also have what we call our home brand of products, which is ready-made products for two big national multi-retailers. Um, being John Lewis and Dunelm. So you go into a John Lewis or a Dunelm and about a third of all the ready-made products, so you pick a duvet cover up, a pair of curtains or a cushion, a third of them will be ours, but you would never know. They're from, um, they work, they have their own design teams, work with our design teams, and they then collaborate two or three times a year, mm -hmm. come up with ideas. They're working probably about 18 months in advance, so they'll be working on autumn, winter, so many years, you know, 18 months in advance. So it's uh, they've got to think of the trends and get the trends right of what's what's coming in, what's going. Um, but yeah, 18, you get a third of all the products within those companies are ours. But they're all branded as their own branded mm -hmm. products. But manufactured by? Manufactured in the factories that we use generally in the Far East. Okay. Uh, so we do all the, the donkey work of bringing it in and getting it all, all the dealing with all mm -hmm. the mills out in the far east and then we bring it in for them and it's all dispatched from our warehouses into the john lewis and dunhams but it's uh, that's quite good to know it's quite good we've got a team uh, total staff uh, over 100 um and we have three sites so we have preston which mm -hmm. is our head office and main warehouse we also have a warehouse in hyde in manchester yep. where we generally do all of the um own brand of products from yep. And then we also have a office and a showroom in Shanghai in China, um, which so they can deal with all the mills and everything, so they speak the language. Um, out they, manage, they manage a lot of the eth ethical and technical audit side of it, as you can imagine. That side of the industry is very, very stringent in terms of the suppliers you can work with and so on. And a lot of these suppliers we've been working with for a very long time, got a very good rapport. We, we only work with a handful of um, suppliers out in the Far East. and. They're, they're great westernised businesses in 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 sense, um, but we've got the uh, the team out there which is great for you know the day to day. We need this, we need that. They can just run around and get what's required. Um, 
as trends change and direction evolves over time. But it's a great asset. And one of the things that I like is it's a family business. So we work for a family business and we get looked after and we get treated like family. Mm. So it's a really, really lovely company to work for. Hence why you guys have both been there for so long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then kind of I live I live came out of um a requirement in the market really. So um as I touched upon just before, we had a brand called Swatchbox, which at that time um I wasn't I wasn't in the business when it first launched first launched back in the eighties. Um was built around planes and at that at that time and swatches in boxes, hence the brand. Um and then the market evolved to more pattern led, so the brand lost a little bit of traction and um Jason, our CEO, saw there was an opportunity to relaunch a new brand with a new meaning and um it's where I started to get involved there working with some local universities, getting them involved in terms of doing a whole brand exercise of effectively what generated I live and the actual brand I live, funnily enough came from just a few internal meetings that we had with the with the internal team having a chat around brand values as you do and what we stand for as a business and all that um all that fun stuff that you kind of trying to get everybody involved because we are a very collaborative business um and we ended up with these four words which were inspire lead involve and value and it was um jason's our ceo his wife who said oh that that gives that the acronym of of i live Oh, yeah. It works, that. <laughs> and, then, and then, fully enough, that's kind of how it started, yeah. and and, we, and we've, we've stuck with it since then. And eleven years on, it's just grown and grown and grown. We tweaked the brand, the logo a little bit. Um, we started off doing quite a large um, to the product category base, and we've narrowed that down to really focus on textiles. And then we introduced it into uh the contract side of it about seven years ago, eight years ago. Yeah, I believe I can't remember now everything's gone so quick um, we introduced it as Isle of Contract Fabrics and everything's history it's just kept on growing and growing year on year but it was really developed as a brand to uh, make it easier for the consumer and also make it easier for designers like yourselves to pick up, pick up our books, pick up our designs and be able to bring them to life effectively and, and how we lay them out, how we create the designs, whether that's scale, colour, different design categories, different stories. We've got a real eclectic mix of look, looks and feels within mm. the Eyelid brand that effectively you can find anything under, under our brand, you know. Um, whether you want something a little bit more timeless and classical or if you want something a little bit more contemporary and geometric or textured, we've, we've kind of got it all. We, we don't sit to one style we kind of adapt to the trend and where the markets go and, and the demands really which is quite which is quite nice and diverse i guess from a design aspect yeah i didn't realize how many books we had i got all the books out earlier yeah and i was like oh my god we've got so many eyelid books in there and, and i found a couple of fabrics that have been buried that i've been looking for <laughs> so that's good thank you we must we must launch now um uh, 20 collections a year across the board yeah. roughly wow. we've, we've now gone on the contract side um, pre-covid we used to launch products every three months um, for contract and on the retail side is every six months so we always have two 
set launches a year for the non-FR products, for mm -hmm. the, ho the housing side, the residential side. But on the contract, it was always every three months. So there was always something new. When I, with I cover the, the country apart from inside London, I'd always got something new to show. So every time I come, I got something new. That's really nice. So then COVID hit and we had to slow down. So we, we just launched a lot pre-COVID. So after we've all got let out of being locked in, um, we sort of had to let that settle, the dust settle on the new ones and let everyone get used to using them again. And now we're launching back again. It's every three months, sometimes even sooner than that. It can be every month, every two months, but predominantly it is three months. We've got more new products. So it's a constant, we're evolving all the time. So it's all trend led and colors. Um, Pantone of the year, peach, yeah. peach yeah. fuzz, peach fuzz. Peach yeah. yeah. So we'll be seeing a bit more of that this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's, it's it's exciting times. We were talking about trends, weren't we, before? Yeah. Um, and you were saying about how it's it's gone a bit strange. Yeah, I, I mean, I find it every... Well, at, at the end of every season, it's always a bit daunting going, oh, right, we've just signed off one season, we need to start the other one next. And it's kind of, oh, well, what is it? You know, uh, where do you look? And... Um, I mean, there's so many avenues you can take direction from now. Uh, but yeah, just what we were talking about before, Haley. it's so, and it kind of links itself to the I Live brand. We don't have a, a set handwriting, let's say, you know, we're so diverse with what we do and we take, we get inspired from, from so many different places in, in the market and whether that's fashion or any kind of like social events or things going on at art museums, everything like that. Um, but there's nothing I, I found over the past couple of years, nothing slap bang obvious of that's a new direction, that's a that's a new trend and a new style. Um but what I have seen and I think what's easier to track and monitor is colour and the change in colour and um you know, and a little thing going on quite recently is, you know, people are more confident with colour, especially on the domestic side of it. And you'll see there's a big movement from very, the cold greys which were really popular Pick about four shades. years ago yeah. yeah exactly five years ago now moving to much warmer neutral tones which is nice to see and they're bringing in pops of colour terracottas and things like that um, and also patterns coming back um, people are be Big being time, a, isn't it? yeah and we were talking about the I like the word maximalist people are just mixing patterns in the way that they like and doing what they like to do and it's not really a set formula which mm -hmm. is nice um, it's a lot more indi indi individual individualistic yeah that's a good word I don't know I'll <laughs> but yeah no everyone sort of wants to do it their way and it's a bit it's a bit like when you buy a mini you know you, you kind of if you buy a brand new mini you get like a bit of that and a bit, you, you build it yeah. how you want it and I think interior designers is, is a little bit like that isn't it you kind of very much layered layer it for the person i think we've spoken about this though on previous podcasts i think on one of the first ones when we were talking to karen about the psychology of color you know, we touched on that whole concept of how design has changed over the last few years interior design from a commercial and from a probably more from a um, domestic perspective that people are a lot more open now to actually rather than just keeping up with the Joneses and having what everybody else has because that's what's on trend and that's what they see in magazines that actually they more open to the idea of giving it a bit more thought about what it is that they actually really like and what they're striving towards in terms of design so mm. it's positive I think 
So I'd really like to touch on um, on sort of different standards um, today. What, what can you guys teach us about, about different standards for things like curtains? And um, we're talking about marine, weren't we? Well, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's there for a reason, and we have standards um, mainly down to make sure individuals and guests in uh, a commercial remit are safe in the environment they're in, and ultimately that's why we have these tests that we um, have to be certified for when we launch a product. Um, the the key one for UK drapery, so if you have a hotel or um, a care home or anything along those lines, uh, university um, halls for example um, you would kind of look to use any type of these curtains in a public space so the test method you should all be aware of is BS5867 part two part two um, but then there's kind of two um, you'll see that there's usually a B and a C associated with them so you'll, you'll usually see it as BS5867 part two B and C or just B, or just C, um, and effectively this this test method, um, in in a really simple way, is just setting the curtain on fire, and it's all about the time of ignition and how long the uh, flame basically rides up the curtain mm -hmm. and the time for it to extinguish, and also that there's no um, smouldering in terms of. Um, droplets of flames or melted fibre dropping off the curtain and these get examined by the testing house at this time which is usually a UCAS accredited testing house um, who sign off and certify the products and there's, there's loads of factors involved throughout product development which can affect that you know I, I'm not a scientist I'm very much a creative um, but there's lots of things in terms of the weaving of fabric which can affect how it performs. Mm. So um, how thick it is, the density of the weave, the how it's been finished in the process of weaving it when they finish the fabric and they set it basically in a big oven. If they've set it too wide or too narrow, what chemicals have used to wash it? You know, these things go through really big machines. You might get a bit of oil on it or whatever and they, t they wash the fabric Sometimes they wash the fabric with a handle to make it feel softer. And there's lots of these things which can effectively make it more or less flammable. Um, so we've always got to be testing the, the products. You can't just take it for granted that it's using in, um, inherently flame retardant yarn, that it's always going to be uh, performing. You, should, you need to always test the weave construction and everything like that before you can go out and confidently sell it. Mm. And um, you guys have got um, some new ranges, haven't you, where you're, you're not, there's a lot more inherent yes. fabrics. Yeah, so, so uh, what's interesting about the B and C side of it, because it, it comes into the difference between inherent and treated FR, is with B and C, um, B requires um, basically 12 washes before it's um, set on fire and C requires 50 washes um, at 75 degrees Celsius. So if you're using any, anything which is inherently flame retardant, so the yarn itself is inherently flame retardant, it will always pass C primarily. Um, 
and the fact that it can you're not washing any chemicals off it which make it FR effectively so if you're in an environment where you are continuously washing things it's great and also you don't have to keep any records you know if once you've washed it it's going to remain plain retardant however um if you're treating a fabric and we're we're we don't favor either side because obviously the Olive brand we have treated fabrics and inherent fabrics and we sell both um it just depends on the individual who wants to buy them with coated fabrics because it's like a topical treatment that's added after after a certain amount of washes this the flame retardancy will start to degrade and so is that b or c b so b is the one that's so um, usually to get it past that uh, to get it over 12 washes yeah you you really should be changing your curtains after that but also at the same time with the treated fabrics you should be um looking to basically track the washing so you you know how many times a certain pair of curtains have been washed um in so that this environment is that's that's about. if you were using a treated fabric so in a commercial environment you can buy a non-fr fabric and treat it effectively um which will perform however you can only wash it a certain number of times and then you'd have to switch it out or retreat it again the curtain panel whereas if you're using something which contains inherently um flame retardant yarn so 100 percent polyester fr you can wash it an unlimited amount of times and it'll still remain fr so you don't need to track the washing records or anything like that so as designers if we're specifying a certain fabric yeah that's B, a b class yeah. we need to make sure we're informing mm. yes. the client that they can only wash it a certain amount of times 12 times correct yeah and what what the benefits though of treating fabrics is you open enough a door to a larger variety of fabrics you can use whereas when you are talking about inherently flame retardant yarn you're only talking polyesters you know ultimately you, there's nothing outside of that uh, or wool uh, but then there's a price point associated mm. with wool um so it, it's kind of like swings and roundabouts you know if you wanted something which is a nice cotton print or natural fiber base of cotton linen or anything like that you're gonna you're gonna have to get it coated and treated but and therefore you've got a set number of washes until they need to be retreated again or replaced um whereas if you are using something from the eyelid contract range and it's inherently flame retardant yeah you're, you're bulletproof in essence yeah mm. you're absolutely fine but don't get me wrong there are there's instance, instances where poor housekeeping can affect the flame retardancy of the curtain so dust is a big thing if you're not cleaning your curtains a build-up of dust can make them flare still so mm. you can have um it is down to the responsibility of the wherever these the soft furnishings are that the, the housekeeping are, are cleaning them effectively uh, because dust dust buildup can be a challenge it's hoovering them hoovering them. if you've got um curtains that are in like, dummy curtains in a, a reception area that will never get drawn they will mm. never get closed mm -hmm. they're, they're probably hiding something mm. um they need hoovering regularly because the dust build up on there even though they will be inherently flame retardant or mm. coated yeah um if a match or something gets near them a spark it's the dust that will go and that will flare to the ceiling 
um, and the dust will burn but the curtain won't catch fire mm. but it'll look like it's catching fire mm. so that's where they need to be hoovered regularly uh, and the, there is the, with the accurate with the, the laundering records of, of rooms so if like room 529 their curtains were washed on the 12th of December 2003 then that has to be logged mm. um, and that's part of law yeah, yeah accurate laundering records need to be Kept. But that's commercial only, isn't it? Yes. So what, what about domestic? So in somebody's house. So, so funnily enough, there's absolutely nothing for for drapery. There's uh, I can't no, believe that. No, I don't. no rules or requirements around FR in that environment for drapery fabrics, not at all. Um, so you can basically have anything you want up at your window. Tissue your paper. It's your space, own risk, it? it's your own home. And whether you live in a, a shared accommodation flat, you know, in the centre of Manchester or something like that, or London, or whether you live in a row of terrace houses and you're connected to other homes, you know, within your street, there's, there's no rules. No Airbnb, rules oh, yeah, Airbnbs, no rules at all. No. Which is a, which is a, a, a kind of a. It's quite scary when you think about it. Um, and I know we've got. Um, customers our side who do a lot of furnishing accommodation and they for domestic um a lot of renovations and stuff like that and they they have used things like our, our tundra plane in, in those environments just because it, it it looks like a like a normal fabric anyway you know well i'll probably rephrase that <laughs> um, the best fr technology has changed over the course of the past 10 years um it got a bit of a bad reputation way back when that anything that had FR yarn in it had a particular hand feel which was quite poor, um, quite stiff, very shiny. Whereas now the yarn innovation and uh, has really yeah, improved. I mean I, 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 I could quite easily show you velvets, um jacquards, embroideries, which are all hundred percent polyester and you would think some of them have natural fibre and you think they would have viscose in them or something like that. To, because it's just draped so well. Um, and so for like I was touching back on, we have customers now who just for that reason, around just being safe, put in FR uh, drapes into the environment, mm -hmm. even though legally they don't have to. So James, you wanted to add something about um, fire retirements, didn't you? Yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it's the main, the, the list of is, it's fabrics used in most public places, such as care homes, hospitals, Universities, colleges, hotels, pubs, cruise ships, schools, churches, theatres, prisons and detention centres are required by law to have their fabrics certified flame retardant. Um, and then you've got the, it's the 2005 fire safety order. So the responsible person, the owner of or person with control of those premises has the call, full corporate responsibility. So the owner of a hotel group might be on the beach in the Bahamas because that's where he lives now and the, the, the hotel group runs itself and one of the housekeepers is nipped out because someone's damaged a pair of curtains, nipped to the local shop and bought some mm. and someone in that room is now having a crafty fag out the window in the middle of the night and catches the curtains on fire and they can't get out of the room and they've died. The guy who owns it, who's in Bahamas, he's on a corporate manslaughter charge but doesn't know anything about it because that's what the, the housekeeping should be doing but that's why it's so important that any of that list of uh, buildings and
companies that need flame retardant curtains. And it is by law that they need it. Mm. We've had the problems with like with, with Grenfell, the, the outdoor cladding yeah. that brought it to light. So it is quite, you know, it's very, very important that any of them, the, the, the grey area is the Airbnb side that, you know, is it, isn't it, is it? Well, you rent out your home, don't you? They're you rent, encouraging you to rent out your home. Yeah, rent your so spare room out. It will but is that, yeah, do, is, that, that should be then classed as, a, is it a hotel? But also, mm. there's something with something with Airbnbs as well, which, you know, if you go back, if you stay in your hotel now, I mean, it's been like this for years, every door has a fire exit route. Do you have that in an Airbnb? Yeah. If you stayed there for the first night and something happens like that, there's a fire and you have to escape and you're yeah. halfway in. But if you have an HMO, I used to have an HMO, yeah. to have a fire um, alarm yeah. put in the whole of the house and like, you have to have fire, so the doors have to shut and I think so, yeah. I had it managed, but yeah, I had to pay to get it all upgraded because I had an HMO. I couldn't just rent it out like a house. Um, so it's, it, I think it is, it, it, I reckon it's it calm, yeah. But it will probably just blank, it won't, they just say that everyone has to have it. They'll just end up having a, a higher fire retardancy and they'll, it'll be everyone who's selling anything into the UK will just have to have it fire retardant. Because upholstery is, st upholstery isn't like that, is it? So upholstery's got the cigarette match BS5852 one, yeah. and then it's got BS5852 plus group five. Yeah, which is a, a combination test, which is basically called BS7176 which is a combination of um, BS5852 and also uh, BS1021, which is your SIGGIN match. So it's a combination of all three tests together is your 7176. But people call it loads of different terminologies in our market. There's CRIB5, there's uh, BS5852, there's BS7176. But if I was a designer and I was looking for one thing, on the back of a label, because even even the editors and and the fabric providers print different things on their care care labels and stuff like that. I'd be looking for two main things: either it says BS seven one seven six, or it says BS five eight five two, source five, source zero one and five. Yeah. And then if it says that, I'll be happy. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be confident with yeah. what I'm using for a commercial environment, mm -hmm. and that's your medium hazard environments, your public environments, just what James was saying before. Your pubs, your clubs, your hotels, your spa rooms, your universities, but whatever. It's a, it's a higher one, isn't it? So if you're, you, we were talking about this, if you're locked in. Yes, Crib 7. Um, so if that only really applies to prisons and mental institutions, anywhere where you're locked in your room and have to be let out, so you have to wait to be let out, that's when it needs to be Crib 7. So it's a longer burn than a Crib 5. Um, so it's. If you're in control of your own destiny to get out of a room, mm -hmm. like in a hotel room, it's crib five. But if you're locked in and you have to wait to be let out, it's got to be crib seven. Yeah, you, you, what you classify as a hazardous environment, uh, submarines is a is another one. You know where you are literally locked in a in an area, and something like you know where people will like a, a mental hospital or something like that, where somebody might be prone to arson or something like that. You you make sure that the textiles are a fit for purpose once again and um, the whole crib thing where that comes from is um, crib five in a real simple term is five blocks of wood 
if I had a, if I could show you visually, it's a little, it's a little crib of wood, mm. and then the crib seven is another layer. So you've got seven layers, not five, and it's a bigger block of wood. So therefore, the flame is bigger, more aggressive, and therefore is is harder to self self extinguish. Extinguish is that self the word? Extinguish. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> um, put itself out. Um, <laughs> yeah, <okay>. so the, <laughs> that's only really the, the difference between the two. One of the biggest mistakes that we find that um, designers make is curtain fabric and they are specifying crib five because they think crib five is FR. They don't understand that the crib five is a, an only upholstery terminology. So it only applies to upholstery and not curtaining. So we end up having orders come through our uh, sales office and they're ordering crib five fabric for curtains because they think it's FR, because they uh, think that's the terminology. Mm -hmm. yeah. The other thing with upholstery, that, that, that standard, is it's a combination of foam and fabric. So you have to have a certain type of foam yes. with the fabric. Yep. Um, I actually did a test with my dad in a warehouse <laughs> and videoed it. We yeah. used to, we used to t when I worked um, with my dad, we used to import upholstery fabrics from China. And we used to do our own tests, and oh God, I, we probably there's Sounds like safe. There's, well, really wasn't, there's like there's a video on YouTube somewhere where there's I'll put it in the link. It's funny. There's loads of like cardboard boxes behind this do you chair. Know what? I think I've seen it. I think fabric or something like that. <laughs> but um, I think if you type in crib five test, actually, it's probably the only video online. But um, yeah, no. So, but the um, <laughs> there is a little crib on that on that video, yeah. and that's that's the crib five. Yeah. And we used to do that all the time, just to kind of test the fabric, because we used to batch test every every lot that came yeah, from yeah. China, just to make sure it was all right. But yeah. I'm sure we should have done it. In a I'm sure we should have done it in a little bit of a more of a safe environment rather than in front of a whole lot of boxes of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what we're similar to what we were saying about um, drapery fabrics. With upholstery fabrics, the crib five can can be applied. The the basically the barrier to create the performance that you need can be applied to a fabric. So effectively, it can be a paste that goes on the back, or it can be a lamination that goes on the back um, to create help create the char barrier between the fabric and the foam. Uh, but also we have fabrics uh, in the eyelid range, like um, Hampton's a great example uh, of Velvet of ours, uh, which will be classified as dual purpose. So it's got no, no treatment to it, but it is 100% inherently flame retardant. So the yarn in it is at a molecular level flame retardant. Um, and because there's no coating on it, it passes both the drapery tests and the upholstery tests, which is great. So it's really versatile. So if you if you were designing a room, you could, how many colors have it have got of Hampton now, Jim? 50 something? 54, I think 54. So you can use one velvet color for the upholstery and another velvet color for the drapery. You don't have to pay any more pay any more for it add anything onto it it's fit for purpose as you see it in the sample book so there are textiles which can do both at the same time yeah that's really handy isn't it yeah and the, the only the only great thing about five uh, about the treating of it as well um is the fact that you can't wash a sofa so you can't wash it off so once it's on it's on and it's permanent effectively so um uh, 
if you were to pick something from the residential side of it and it and it obviously achieved the correct martindale that you need to use for that uh end use and it would you basically do a trial coating yes it passes the standards um as long as it's on. not got a zip cushion that you can remove yes yeah i suppose if you so if you wash but you would need to you would wash, wash if, if you're talking you about the frame if you're talking about the frame of a sofa you're not gonna you're not gonna wash it unless it's like a, re, a removable cover but, but um, you do wash it though don't you wash the top you yes can you clean the top that's fine yeah. uh you wouldn't wash the back the, off you wouldn't put it in the washing machine no and and where the treatment is all on the reverse you you'll if you look to the back of the fabric it's either like a a black or white lamination cloth um or it's a it's a paste and you can physically see it well, that that's something that we are actually moving away from now on the sustainability side on the chemical side <laughs> and it's we're we're not using any of our new upholstery fabrics we're not using any chemicals on the back of the upholstery fabrics anymore so we're using a, a halogen free woven backing which um, at the end of life, you can then part, separate the two, so they both can be recycled. So, so that, that if you were using if you were using chemicals on the back, that will be ending up in landfill because you can't take the chemical off the back because it's on it's applied to the back. But with these now, um, and every new upholstery that we are going forward, we're either using inherently crib five where there is no backing, or we're using the halogen free woven backings. And even though we can use those and make them waterproof as well, because there's a membrane in between the halogen-free backing and the face that, yeah. to make it waterproof. So we're trying to do our bit. We're trying to be a bit more sustainable on everything, yeah. um, where the world is telling us we need to to be more sustainable in everything we do. So um, James has just brought a book in with him today called, what's it called? Alchemy Collection. Alchemy Collection. And it's just really affirmed my my opinion that the 80s are back <laughs> the, the, the I other, love it. <laughs> touching upon touching on sustainability as well what's great about the alchemy collection um is as the market's evolved and the market's changed and seen the demand around sustainability and the requirement for it um and everybody's got an esg strategy now or a csr strategy and and you know you've got to you've got to cater for these needs but also you've got to wait for the innovation to come um, and now within this alchemy collection, we've launched fabrics which have got recycled flame retardant yarn in them. It's a bit of a mouthful. So inherent, recycled inherently flame retardant. So we've got polyesters in there now, which are recycled, certified recycled, um, but also perform from an FR perspective. So it ticks all the boxes. And recyclable. And recyclable. <laughs> so that's cradle to cradle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And we've also got. Um, one of the new upholsteries that we launched is a poly cotton mix. So your polyester is recycled polyester, but the cotton side of it is BCI cotton. Um, and BCI is called the Better Cotton Initiative. So we can trace it back to where the farmer plants the seeds. So he signs up to the BCI program and he then becomes a BCI farmer, uh, which means he'll recycle his water, use solar panels, pay his staff properly, organic fertilizers, Nothing that will harm the environment. So when you buy his cotton, you take that accreditation of being a BCI along the chain with you all the way so that you can then supply BCI cotton. So um, I, was in, I was in Tesco's a few weeks ago and looking at cotton t-shirts and we've all got cotton t-shirts, but now the swing tickets that you'll see, you'll see 
a little three initials BCI in block capitals and it says Better Cotton Initiative and that's and it's starting to come through in lots of clothing now that you'll see that so you know that that is coming from a sustainable source. That's really cool. It's a um, it's a big initiative that's probably start, I, I don't I don't know when it, when it started but we started working with BCI eight years ago seven years ago we were quite early to it um, and effectively just what James said they it's a little bit like fair trade but not fair trade it goes a little bit broader than that mm. uh, and how they align themselves with the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals if you're aware of them um, but they help with a lot of the poverty challenges uh, education gaps um, fair pay everything like that and, it, and it, it's quite easily tracked throughout the supply chain so you can you, you use something called BC, BCCU credits it's like a, a fake coin uh, um, and it goes from each uh, step, step in the journey in terms of from growing cotton to um, effectively all the way through the process to weaving it um, and creating it into a fabric of print or whatever you're doing with it that then that BCC ends up with us when we acquire it and then we can then give that to somebody else if we if they wanted it if they were BCU uh, uh, better cotton certified as well so you're always tracking it so it's quite it's quite good to actually know where your products coming from yeah which is quite technical in our industry yeah so there's the other thing the only thing that we haven't really talked about is marine. Yes. So there's another standard isn't there for marine curtain yes. and upholstery. What's so that? so again I, I mean the best way to keep it I mean I, I I'm like I said I'm not a scientist but these are the best things to take away with you if we're doing anything which is a ship or a cruise liner or anything like that which is going on international waters, waters uh whether that be a private yacht or whatever there are three main tests you need to keep an eye out for. So anybody's fabric, which you are looking out for, are for drapery, which is IMO 7. And then for upholstery, IMO 8. And then anything for bedding, um, IMO 9. So those are the only things you need to look out for um, test-wise when, when selecting a fabric to go into that end use. And, and is that like a fire retardancy? Yes, it's a standard. fire. It's a fire. An international one. Correct. It's a it's a an international marine organisation test standard that you have to test for, and effectively, it's just another way of setting up brick on fire uh, with their own um, methodology of doing that. But that's what you need to keep an eye out for. So bedding. That's the only. That's the only standard I've heard of for bedding. Yeah, there there is a. A BS that? standard for bedding as well. Or, yeah. What's that for? Source five and source seven. So, so every it, commercial is that commercial. Your your bedding and throws. Your source five is BS seven one seven five. That's it. Uh, suitable for hotels, public buildings, and offices. You've got your high risk side of it is uh, source seven, and that's uh, hospitals and healthcare environments. But there is a, a BS five eight one five part. Th Free, and that's bed linen for public sector. So that's fabrics are tested against stringent requirements for dimensional stability, shrinkage, colour fastness and um, washing, dry cleaning or light. So that's BA, BS5815 part three. So just to recap, BS7175 source five yep. 
is for hotels. Hotel, yeah. yeah, and then source seven BS seven one seven five source seven yeah. is for higher is is a higher standard for hospitals and healthcare. Yes, that's correct. And are these all fire retardancy yes. standards. Yes, and then five eight one five part three is more of a public sector public sector yeah. standard for for Ign durability. Yes, I suppose. yeah, yeah, I'd say that. That's interesting. We touched on sustainability before, and I always find it interesting from my perspective because um, we get asked loads of questions on sustainability. What have you been faced with recently around it? Oh goodness, we've done a we've done a podcast called Cradle to Cradle um, with Lewis. With Lewis, and I mean, it, it is just there's a lot of people sort of saying this is sustainable because. So I think a lot of people are getting on board with it now, but there is still an awful lot of like what do what do we choose like this this one's recycled this one's recyclable you know and 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 it is kind of trying to design at the same time as trying to choose the right things and doing the right things um i think the, the industry is catching up to the expectation so everyone wants sustainable yeah um and also i think the, i suppose the biggest challenge in sustainability is that it is more expensive yeah so when you've got a budget yeah we touched on that didn't we I, I think i mentioned that to lewis it was like you know it's as a designer it's you know part of our job it obviously is to is to try and direct as you know as best we can in terms of um from a client perspective to to consider these things because it is important but at the same time on a, we were saying, I think, on a project of such a big scale, if 50% of the product isn't sustainable and the other 50% is, and, you know, there's a difference in cost, you know, associated with that, ultimately it falls down to the, it, it, you know, it's on the client's shoulders yeah. as to how they want to, you yeah. know, how they want to push forward with it. And we all know that, you know, budgets are, are getting tighter and tighter <laughs> and tighter yeah. and it's... I suppose you're a bit restricted as well. So, like, say for example, you're designing a scheme and you're looking for a certain type of green, which we were on a project the other day. That's when um, James bought a, a book in today, and Scarlett was like, "Why were you not here?" <laughs> um, but we were looking for this particular type of green. So, if you would, if you've only got one particular type of green in your whole library, and it's not sustainable, but it works, mm -hmm. then you've got. You know, it's it's almost like, oh, do I specify it? Do I not? Well, I need to specify it because I need the colour, and yeah. so it's it's that's probably the biggest thing. And I think I think what will happen over the next few years is everyone will just end up doing everything sustainable. Yeah. It, it, it will go cradle to cradle. I, I hope um, that's the hope, isn't it? Mm. Just like you say, the, the technology catches up. Yeah, and that that's kind of what we're finding is, is as the technology's there, the yarns get more. Uh, interesting that are sustainable so I won't go too technical but you can now get a recycled FR chenille you know compared mm. to six years ago it'll just be like a really standard polyester yarn you can't really do much with it um, so the, the, the market is basically changing and evolving and adapting all the time and it's, but there's loads sustainability is so broad and it's kind of why I asked the question because everybody always goes to product initially and okay in our industry sometimes you can make something sustainable you know recycled or organic or whatever but it's a price associated to it um but sometimes it's kind of and, and the reflection i have on it is it's the people you work with as well and what the business is doing who you work with where it might not necessarily 
pass its way down the supply chain from at, at your level in terms of using the fabrics. But a lot of my suppliers might use waterless dyeing. You know, they use no water in dyeing. You know, it's great. These water is a massive problem in our industry. Um, and what do you mean the, the lack of water? Using too much of it. So they used oh, use, to use a lot of water, um, especially for things like cotton and so on. Um, and that's why some fiber types are more sustainable than others. So cotton's possibly the worst for using water. So is linen. Uh, it's quite bad for using water. Um, uh, viscose can be quite bad for using water. And that's why some people prefer to use um, new newer yarns evolving. Sometimes polyester's got a bad rep, you know, virgin polyester, you know, oil coming out of the sea made from dinosaurs, you know, it's it's got a bad reputation. But actually, when you look at the process to generate it, it's not so bad compared to, mm. to some things. Um, oh, we so need to do a podcast on but there's, but there's, there's loads, there's loads of greenwashing and complexities about it all. And, you know, you might go great. Well, bamboo viscose is brilliant. Bamboo grows really fast. Technically, it's a weed, it's a grass. It grows, it uses 20% less water than cotton. It's a great fiber. It drapes really well. It's got loads of um, antibacterial, antimicrobial properties, deodorizing and all that fun stuff. You can write home about it. But the process of it, using basically getting it from a, a bamboo root trunk whatever you would classify it as to yarn uses a lot of heat well where does that heat come from mm. are they using gas burners to produce it or are they using agricultural waste to create the to create the heat and the energy you don't know uh well i know but it, that's really hard yeah. from a marketing and brand aspect to go our bamboo viscose yards is this but I know our bamboo viscose is FSC certified, so great ticks a sustainability box because yeah. it's um, it's accredited. So it's really it's really uh, it's like a web of. I think there's so many different processes for everything, isn't there? Like wood and fabrics, all different yep. types of fabrics, where they come from, what they're made from, and, yep. and they, they, I think there's there's a and and as as designers, we can't possibly know how to manufacture everything. No. And um, I kind of want to. I'm like, how's that? You want to know? Like, yeah. I'm terrible. Um, but but that. But I think as designers, you put your trust in a reputable company, you know, yeah, such yeah. as yourselves, to know, you know, to know that they're investing the time and the money into into developing that and looking into and 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 having the knowledge behind the sustainability in terms of the fact that it is so broad. That, as we said earlier, you know, that we've lived. We, we were talking about, you know, how. It's going to take a while, I think, for the world to catch up. And I yes. think it's, as you say, it's on its way because we've spent so many years living in a in a world where we, you know, it's such a throwaway society, and nobody kind of considered any of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you just put your trust in the reputable suppliers mm. that you know to to be doing their job properly. And mm. yeah, and I think it's kind of it is very much brand the brand story. I mean, we we recently. Um, about three years ago, started working with an organisation called Planet Mark. I don't know if you've, if you've seen them before. So they're, they're a company who will audit and certify your carbon emissions. Okay. Um, and I won't go into so much detail, but effectively, what's your carbon footprint as a business? Um, operationally, yeah. measuring all lots of different things. So they might measure you, your utilities, as an example, um, or your business travel, or your procurement, all those, all that fun stuff. And effectively, they measure every year, and it's audited. So we have to go through all our accounts, everything like that. 
in the minute as a detail and they give you your copper footprint score and they certify it so all the data you've done is right or correct and this is our second year that we've just been certified so we've reduced our carbon emissions by 12 and a half percent which is quite you know it, yeah. it's a it's Oops, a mean sorry. feat because a lot of our data has come from covid time so it's a bit diluted because we're not traveling you know you know james an example wasn't in his car as frequently back then because obviously everybody was on lockdown and so on so a lot of the data was quite hard to perform against so we've kind of um even though we've reduced 12 percent, we've gone up a little bit in terms of our carbon emissions for travel because the world's opened up again um but then we've reduced our utility bills so we're not using as much natural gas for example or electricity in our main offices because we've just put solar panels in and we've just got a new energy efficient heating system and put new radiators in you know everything we're trying to do to reduce um the usage so as a brand as a business we are trying to be as sustainable as, as possible uh while still trying to be operationally effective it's a really fine balance Really I'm just going to give give you a few numbers here. Go on, go. Textiles <laughs> is the second largest polluting industry in the world. Um, contributes ten percent of all global carbon emissions. Seventeen to twenty percent of global industrial water pollution comes from dyeing and finishing. And twenty-one billion tons of textile waste per year, pre and post production, go into landfill. That, that those numbers though do include fashion, so it's not yeah. just soft furnishings. Yeah. This yeah. is the whole fashion industry as well. And what about water and things like that? So we've all got a cotton t-shirt. So to get that cotton t-shirt dyed on your back is two thousand seven hundred liters of water to make one t-shirt. Now that's enough drinking water for one person for two and a half years. How many cotton t-shirts have we all got in our wardrobes? And when you dye a cotton t-shirt. Where does the, the dye go right. afterwards? So, does it go back into the... The, the, water, the water is one to grow the crop. So they need a lot of water uh, and herbicides, pesticides to grow the crop. So but then the actual dyeing process to dye it, a lot of heat involved, so a lot to, um, for the yarn to take the colour. But then to answer your question, that dye then usually goes through, I'll, I mean, just because I know our suppliers have eutrophication water systems, so they treat the water and recycle okay. the water through. So that, that's the type of supplier we would work with to make sure that they've got that process set up. Can you imagine how many suppliers are not doing yeah. oh, This is it. This is it. That's the problem, yeah. isn't it? So if you from growing the seed, the cotton seed, to get one kilogram of cotton is 20,000 litres of water. And that's enough to keep 15 adults drinking water for a year. So to get one kilogram of cotton. From seed to finished product. So in effect... Are we taking away people's drinking water? Well, they've got to to they're recycling the water now. That's the thing. So it's just teaching them. The that's, responsible ones. That's why they are signing yeah. up to the Better Cotton Initiative program. So they are recycling their water. So what what Better Cotton do? They'll they'll help educate farmers in the best way to you know irrigate their fields um, and the best way to utilize the water and maximize yield using as little water as they can. But it's it's a crop, you know. It, yeah, you can have too much water and it kills it. You can have too little water and it kills it. It's a, it's an art. Farming is an art. No matter what you grow in, it's a, it's an environmental challenge, and you know it's not easy for these guys. And, and better cotton. What's nice about it is, it's um, it's the educational side of it, which, which I like about it, and how 
they grow they, they help grow the um this is bci better yeah it, it's the social responsibility out around it which i like and the the whole aspect of fair pay and the gender gap and everything like that they, they really do work on that and I, i'd advocate anybody go and look on their website because they'll talk about it 10 times better than what i can but it's just a great read and there's, mm. there's a lot of reports on there about all the different um cotton producers around the world who they help and um they'll give some real facts and figures about how much water they've saved and so on year on year out um it's kind of like their accounts effectively it's cool So, we have touched on loads of different things, um, but we, we, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is LRV, because LRV is something that I would associate, and a lot of people I think would associate with things like walls, um, but actually we really need to consider what goes on furniture and, and curtains as well. So, Spencer, do you want to yeah, educate I us on LRV? Effectively, it's the measure of, of the reflectiveness of a surface, effectively. So it gives you a, pe a percentage. So that percentage will go from 0% to 99%, um, and then how much light it absorbs or reflects. And it's quite commonly used um, where, where I've seen in care. So we were touching about it just earlier. Um, I've seen it emerging in paint, at, uh, you know, um, lots of feldspar paints in B&Q I saw quite recently. I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. You can only get a score for LRV on solids, on solid planes, solid colours. You can't do anything which is multicoloured because there's too many colours within um, the fabric to get an accurate measure. Um, but where you would use it and how a, how a designer would use it effectively is to create contrast within a room to help the the guests who ever stay in there to see easily clearly um key things within the room so for it's example it's really aimed at people with dementia. visual impairment dementia. and dementia yeah, isn't it exactly yeah. and you might go for example making sure that there's a contrast in lrb between your carpet color to your chair so the guests can clearly see where the chair is in the room um, and don't mistake it for something else, you know. Um, or you might create a contrast between the wall colour and then the door frame colour, mm -hmm. or the door colour, so you can quite clearly see where the door is within the room. And the same for any of your soft furnishes and so on, like your curtains and so on. Just really to make it quite clear and obvious that they're um, they're visible for the people in there. And then there's, there's different, different things in paint. I know we were touching about it before, Hayley, where depending on the direction of sunlight within your room that you are sitting in, you can choose different LRVs of, of colours to help the room feel brighter or dimmer or moodier, depending on what you were, what you were looking for and also the orientation of the sun into your home. It's quite interesting, though, that you picked up, because obviously that really is going to relate to commercial yes. projects, isn't it? Um, as you mentioned earlier about kind of care homes and... Um, and you mentioned maybe about people with visual kind of impairments, public spaces. Yeah, that the public. Go. But interesting that um, you mentioned that you know seeing kind of LRV being picked up in in the likes of you know trade centres that are you know 
for retail domestic um, customers. What do you think? I mean, there's no, there's, there would be no reason why you would need to use it residentially, is there? It, it depends. If, you, if you've got someone in your house who's visually impaired, who can't see properly or who someone's got dementia, I think it's a really good idea mm. to have that in your mm. as a designer mm. to have that in your in your back pocket because if you're trying to navigate through mm. um i, I did a, a course on lrv a little while ago uh, done by the uh, director of um dulux and they were talking about you know people who've got there's a lot of people who've got the visual impairment so you know as a designer if you were to go into somebody's home and mm. they've got their you know their their mum living with them and she's got a problem with her sight yeah. then oh yeah let's let's tap into that lrv box and um one of the things i just wanted to add with lrv you've got critical surfaces which are ceiling wall door and floor um i was really surprised to hear that door and architrave should be the same but because um, that then frames the door, yeah. and so you can see the door when it's shut, but you can also see it when it's open. Yeah. And that, and then that's thirty points different. The idea yeah. is, you have thirty. Yeah, yeah, you have thirty points different. And if you look at the Dulux, sorry, I'm geek off now. <laughs> if you look at the Dulux codes, there's um, at the beginning of the code there is a a number and then uh, two letters, and then the middle of the code is the LRV. Dulux. Oh, right. I love I, I love Dulux. I always work with Dulux. Um, the decorators prefer it as well. So that that central number is is that, and and if as long as you've got your critical surface. So I think when you go into care and when you go into a home where people are visually impaired, having yeah. that chair a different colour yeah. in a solid colour rather than a pattern, mm. I think is, as a designer is really important. Yeah. Um, and having, but it's so difficult because when you're starting to consider everything has to be 30 points to be able to see it so your floor and your wall have got to be 30 points difference if you've got a chair that's next to the floor and the wall yeah where which which one so you you have to do 30 for the floor 30 for the wall and then the, like it's it's really difficult i think i think you've got to just really contrast everything yeah. um and have things light and dark how the percentages work on the view values is the higher the percentage the lighter the color the lighter um, the tone is, and then the lower the number, the darker it is. So 0% will be black and 100% will be white, as an example. And imagine all, if it was grayscale, all the gray in between that, that scale. And I, I, I guess if, you, if you're designing a room in black and white in grayscale, seeing your contrast with all these gray tones is kind of how you'd visually pull it together. Mm -hmm. So, but it's interesting what you were saying with the. Um, in your in your mind because you have to think about the paint you have to think about the carpet you have to think about the furniture the, the soft furnishings the bedding everything like that it's not an exact science yeah. because you can't possibly make everything 30 points different because there's only 100 yeah. Yeah. you know so you have to kind of be really mindful of it and just kind of go right well, that chair is going to be next to this so therefore you know the tables is not chairs that it's sort of kind of like key objects in the room like yeah. key key focal points and it's interesting what you say about uh, the chair as well, you know, and I talk about the pattern. You can, you can still include pattern because you could put pattern on the reverse of the chair, but the only bit that they're sat on has enough, has the, the solid on the, on the actual That's seat pattern, so they can see it. Yeah, it's not, but really it's like saying you won't put, a, for example, a, a, a black 
chair, call it black because it's very dark, and then a black rug underneath it, because they might think they're all the same thing, yeah. um, a mistake and end up on the floor. Yeah, I think, it's just, I think it's just knowing, you know, I mean, it, it, please, if anyone just disagrees with me and says it is an exact science, please can you let me know, <laughs> to know um, how you do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just have to be really mindful of everything that you're putting in and yeah. just make sure it is kind of really contrasted as much as possible. Do other companies um, buy their lobby um, values? Because I know I like, I've seen it on paint, obviously I've seen it on textiles. Yeah, I mean, all of the... Um, like the Egger and all that, they've all got LRV values to them. Yeah. Polyray and um, Formica. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. do it, and 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 more and more people are doing it. And yeah. I'm sure you could figure it out as well. Like yeah. it's, it is just being mindful of contrast. So so it is just sort of saying, well, okay, I'm going to use a dark wood, but I'm going to put it next to a, a lighter colour, yeah. or, or whatever. Is it is just being very mindful about contrasting yeah. things. Um, so you don't necessarily have to know the LRV level to be able to be mindful of LRV, if yeah. that makes sense. You have to just kind of, yeah, have it in your box, yeah. in your toolkit. <laughs> That's a bit rude, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Spence would also like to educate us on acoustics, fabrics. Ben's the uh, forte of what he does. So he's done all the all the research into this. He gives me the uh, the details if I ask him to. But he's uh, he's the font of all knowledge on this. Yeah, uh, acoustic fabrics is obviously quite popular at the moment. I would say um, both in the commercial world as well as the residential world as well as people are working from home more and effectively you you're putting fabrics in an environment to either maximize the acoustics in the room to minimize them or to avoid them completely you know effectively and it all depends on the environment you are in so for example the room that we're in here um a little studio and you've got drapes up on the wall to minimize the acoustic reverberation so the echo of sound effectively that's what it is you know and depending on what you're trying to do in that environment is what textile should put in so another great example is you might be you might have a space a meeting room in the office and you want some privacy and you might just want to use a shear to create the privacy but you don't want any acoustic sound going acoustics within your little cubicle of your where your shear is so therefore it's it avoids any acoustics so the sound just trans passes through so that's fine as well so there's no right or wrong with acoustics it's all about just understanding the scoring behind it and kind of what that means um another great example is you might be in an airport room and therefore you might want an, a fabric which balances sound back out of the room so the sound hits the window hits the curtain and bounces back out and minimizes the sound coming into the room where you're trying to get your sleep type of thing um how how they do the test is great you know absolutely this is the best bit about it uh, so we work with salford university around doing our acoustic testing and they've got um two rooms 
one which is called the reverberation room, which is a room where they have all sensors dotted around and they effectively fire sound out of a speaker. And then they measure whatever you've got hung up or it might be brick or it might be um, plasterboard, anything like that, which has an acoustic property to it, how much that object bounces the sound off it, off it or absorbs the sound. Uh, but then you had another room which had no echo in it at all, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. So you could hear your pulse. It's really weird saying that. So when you're talking, you, your brain kind of like ignores natural um, echo when you're talking. But this room stopped all of that. So, yeah, so you had to walk on like a suspended floor. So this room was like a room within a room that was floating and it had all this like foam cladding around it. Like, and like, yeah, it's like <laughs> it was surreal uh, and you could hear your pulse. Strange. So they say you can only spend so much time yeah, you go in those awesome. rooms because yeah. you go mad. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. it's so quiet. It's so quiet, yeah. And you, all you can hear is like your body, things moving in your body, heart beating, everything. It's weird. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. So anyway. Uh, so on. how are they? So you're just going back to your fabrics in terms of acoustics. Is there a is there a like a gauge that you work to in terms of acoustics for fabrics? Yeah, so every every fabric has an acoustic property. Um, so some bounce sound off. Where, where did we find that? So we've only we've probably tested I don't know twenty of our fabrics, which is all on the all on the website, which you can get. We've not printed everything on the back of the books because just end up with there's so much information in our in our in our industry, uh, but everything's on on the website. So you take some fabrics, like I said, are out sound off, some absorb the sound, and some let it pass through. Um, so a great example is a velvet. I know I talked about Hampton before. So when when you test the fabric, you are probably make a pair of curtains to a set standard. At a set size, and then they hang them up at a fake window. What they do, um, and there's a BS, there's the BS standard to this, as there is to everything like that. So the test method is the same. So it is. You got your pen ready. You got my pen ready. It's a BS EN ISO three five four, and that's acoustic. What's it called? Acoustic. Um, it's basically, it's the acoustics testing of a, a reverberation chamber. So that's your room where it's, yeah. it, it measures all the echo and the bounce back. So it's like, it's like a fake room effectively. Um, and that gives you a score, um, and a value called the sound. Uh, I'm going to get really technical. Mm -hmm. the, the, geek off the sound, the, the sound absorption coefficient. Yeah. And usually you'll see, um, a little, a little score, um, which is, and got a little AW after it. So, and it's usually like a zero point five AW or zero point seven AW. But to make it easier, to give you a classification, so the test value and the test method uh, is called the sound absorption coefficient, and that's usually shown itself as a little AW score. And that score is usually like a 0 0.10, 0 0.11, 0 0.12, 0 0.13, 0 0.14, 0 0.15, 0 0.16, 0 0.17, 0 0.18, 0 0.19, 0 0.20, 0 0.21, 0 
AW or 0.7 AW. And to make it easier, it gives you a classification of A to E. So the lower the, lower the score, so if it's 0.4, the less absorbent the fabric is. Mm -hmm. And the higher the score, the more absorbent okay. it is. And that's really useful to, like I was talking about, the environmental uses of how to use it. So we have a fabric called Hampton, which is a velvet. And, you know, you only have to touch and feel a velvet. You go, oh, that's quite thick and dense. And, you know, it's kind of common sense when mm. you, as a designer, not everything has a score, but you kind of yeah. understand it. Of, mm. Right, it's, it's quite a thick, dense fabric. Therefore, it's going to be quite good at muting and absorbing sound. And then that would give you kind of this classification and an idea how to use it. So, okay, I, I'm in a, a hotel room and or a meeting room or something like that, and I don't want the sound echoing around. So therefore, having some Hampton velvet around my windows will help prevent that. Or having Hampton on my furniture will help absorb that as well. There's a, another thing that we haven't tested so much, but I do know it happens a lot with in office space is you can get the acoustic panels as well, which you can upholster onto in office space. So they work as an acoustic barrier as well, which is a slightly different test method because you test the fabric over the acoustic material as well. So that's a different way of using it. So uh, quite a popular trend is acoustic wall panels mm -hmm. that you see and you can put them on the ceiling and so on. But a lot of the acoustic properties come from the board that you are wrapping the textile in. Yeah. Where I would say with that is, don't use something which is really reflective. So don't put a lever, a vinyl on it or a lever, you know, because you know, again, you only have to look and touch the fabric and go, oh, that's not that's gonna bounce things off just by looking and touching it, feeling it. So yeah, the the usually the denser the fabric, the more sound absorbent it is, the less dense the fabric is, the more transparent it is acoustically. So a sheer would yeah. Let things go through. Correct. You, you mentioned earlier, though, about a hotel. Yes. At an airport. Yeah. That needed to keep the sound out. So yeah. that the sound needed to reverb, reverb from behind the curtain. Yeah. What kind of so, again, fabric would you use for that? Again, you could use something like um, a dense fabric like a velvet. And also lining a curtain helps. So having something where it's trapping air mm. in between it because it can change the scores between a lined curtain and an unlined curtain. Um, so the classification, though, goes from A to E. Correct. A being super, the lower. Super absorbent. And E being? Transparent. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you take a shear, that will be effectively unclassified. Yeah. It, it wouldn't even um, pass through. Yeah. Yeah, so, so usually like... Um, lining curtains as well or, or uh, interlining them does help with acoustic back yeah. out back, back out, out back yeah yeah that that all helps with the acoustic properties of how a fabric can perform i can reach it yeah yeah definitely definitely so one thing we touched on earlier um that i'm quite interested to hear a little bit more about is sort of how to clean fabrics on upholstery the cleaning of a fabric won't impact the FR ultimately if it's because obviously all the FR coating is on the reverse. So the face fabric, you could 
as long as you're not taking the covers off yeah. and you're cleaning the surface of the just, fabric. You're just, you're just hoovering it or it watching it using a, a, a cleaner on the front. It won't make a difference. Um, Apple to the to the actual performance uh, until you actually physically wash the fabric. Whatever reason that might happen, but you wouldn't do that with like we touched upon before. You can't do that with the sofa. Um, Counterintuitively, obviously, we, a lot in a, in our commercial environment, a lot of our textiles come with a a stain resistant finish applied to them, and that can actually make things set on fire more. You know, mm. completely on the other side of it. But obviously we have the technology there and the testing to make sure that doesn't happen. But a lot of a lot of textiles now within in, in this side of the market commercial will come with already with a stain resistant finish, which effectively helps create a barrier to prevent the absorption of oils and water and stuff into the fibre on, on the fabric. So it sits on top of the yarn, giving you enough time to clean it away mm -hmm. before it soaks in. But we always emphasize whenever you spill something on a, on a fabric, trying to clean, clean it off immediately. Um, so you're just not allowing it to dwell and sit within a within a fabric. So make sure you mop up your red wine as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> a big a big thing in our industry at the moment, uh, which is always a challenge, has been alcohol uh, and on vinyls, especially um, antiseptic wipes and stuff like that. Yeah. gels. Yeah. It's, it's a real challenge um, because you shouldn't, uh, really using alcohol to clean vinyls. A lot of, do you know what a lot of companies at the moment I'm going out to see have got really sticky tables? Yes. Because they were using yeah. sanitizer. Yeah. Um and COVID we've had uh, instances of vinyls cracking and, and drying up and in certain just touch areas as well. So we'll get a, a complaint that oh your fabric's faulty. Um so I'll go into somewhere and see a chair but it's just the top points of the arms that have cracked. Where people have had Where people, like, yeah. and, and if it's an old, if it's an old people's home, care home, you are then asked the question, what are you cleaning it with? Oh, soap and water. Right, okay. So then are your residents being sat in the chair? Do you come around, the nursing staff come around and put hand sanitizer on them? Well, yes, they do. They're just sat in the chair. They come and give them a squirt. They rub their hands together and put their hands back on the mm. arms of the chair. Mm. That's instantly just like, cleaning with sanitizer on the arms of the chair and that's the problem and it's it, it we're, we're seeing this now for probably going to be three or four years of this problem and then once we've re-educated everybody and we stop using that and we're going back to life as normal that will go away again because in, in my opinion so, you know soap and water cleaning tables would absolutely kill covid as much as a sanitizer spray yeah. but it was just this kind of avid kind of oh you've got alcohol. To, you've got to sterilize everything to the inch of its life to that's that was the law basically yeah. you know that's what we were told by the government and all the advisors were sanitize everything and stay at home <laughs> but we 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 know a few um upholsterers are now putting care labels on the bottom of the chairs especially on vinyl based products saying please stick to the uh, specific cleaning instructions yeah. on this product because it will affect its longevity. Um, and on our cards, our cards with all the sample cards on, we have cleaning on the back. You've got data all, sheets all the... on your website as well, which I always yeah. get into my design packs now. Yeah. So, so you you have got that cleaning advice for client. Yeah. We're just trying to make it as clear as possible. Yeah. I know it sounds it sounds daft, but when you're putting something together, it really is making it as simple as possible it's it's sort of the mentality of 
you've got to make it for stupid people. Yeah, and it's got to be as basic as basic can be. Um, and that's what people understand. Yeah. It's quite easy to get an alcohol hand cleaner wipe thing and just wipe down your chair, wipe down where the, where the people are sitting and stuff like that. It's quick and easy. Yeah. Uh, it's just created a problem. Um, and like I say, it's just uh, trying to educate in the best way that we can to, you know, you can use, when we use a bleach solution, that's what we advertise. It's the best way to do it. It's still bleach. It's going to kill whatever's on there. Um, just a, that's just a low percentage. Yeah. A low percentage of bleach with your water, mix it in. Yeah. And that'll do the job. Yeah. You don't I'm, need to be I'm, spraying I've got, everything. I've got my operator's hat on going, yeah, but all my staff wear black. They're going to end up covered in bleach. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going to be like black well, that's, that, white. Well, that, that's one that I've had as well, where um, a company had supplied some dining room chairs in a cream in a, in a hotel, um, but the staff area, and all the staff were wearing dark blue uniform. Yeah. And they, they got me in to say, oh, we've got some disdaining. Mm -hmm. Transfer. And transfer. it's the dye transfer from gene bleed yeah. and, and clothing. Yeah. Uh, how do I get rid of this? And I said, well, it's not an easy fix, but hot water, not boiling water, but hot water, good hot water, neat, fairy liquid and a microfiber cloth. And it's circular motion and you're just rubbing it in the circular motion. And then I've got the dye on the cloth and the what, and it had come off. And I, and I said to them, the maintenance guy was there and then the owner was there and the maintenance guy was going, yep, I get it. No problem. I can work on that. The owner was saying, well, it's going to be ages. We can't wait that long. And he was saying, the, the maintenance guy was saying, it's fine. I can now work on this and get this done. I know it's not a quick fix. It's going to be a, a lifestyle of a regular cleaning, not leave it and then it build up. And then, mm. so, you know, they were happy. Once it was shown how to do it, yeah. everybody was happy. Yep. <laughs> That's what the podcast is for, passing this knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But some fabrics have naturally like stain resistant properties as well, depending on you know, some velvets are great. But like very high pile, dense pile fabrics naturally stain resistant. Well, you were saying about Hampton. Yeah. We're talking about Hampton in the past. I had a customer that was doing headboards and they said to me, What's the stain resistant like? And I said, Well, I'll tell you what, I'll get you a meter of the fabric, I'll send you it, and you can throw what you want on it and see what, what it is. And because it's headboards, they were using gels, hair gels, waxes, grease. And they said they put it on and it wiped off. And that was the velvet, the properties of the velvet. Yeah. We, there is a, a, a misconception that I hear quite a bit, which might be quite interesting. Uh, people listen to this is the difference between water repellency and waterproof. I don't know if you come across that. Um, so water repellency is effectively a stain resistant, what we would classify as stain resistant. So the stain or the liquid sits on the fiber of the, the fabric. Uh, and there's a treatment on top of the fabric which creates this barrier effectively. Scotch Guard was the yeah. old famous brand. Acroclean. Mm. Uh, whereas waterproof is more of a technical thing where it's a lamination behind behind the fabric, so you can't see it. And then you usually would have your crib five, your FR lamination or paste put on top of that behind it. And that effectively creates a barrier. So if liquid got through. Uh, that means it won't it can't penetrate the fabric any deeper than that lamination that uh film so it's it good for care home great for, so it won't get into the foam or anything like that it will literally just stay on the fabric 
so it's it's perfect for that environment um, and that outdoor so outdoors are real a real funny one so you can because ultimately anything that we sell which has got a waterproof area is also has an antibacterial finish so therefore it's anti-mildew naturally so you can use it outside however with outside becomes another set of problems or challenges in terms of the light fastness and so on um, and the fr guidelines aren't very clear outdoor furniture you've also got the problem with the seams as soon as you put a needle through to make anything yeah. you've punctured it <laughs> yes but you can then seal the seams yes. if you want to take it the the next step tape is tape yeah. the yeah. seams welded welded seams yeah so you can't you can do that um but also it depends on then you know you're using to make sure your inner is anti-mildew and so on same time depending on where it's going um but yeah we've got we've got fabrics uh burley's a great example where we've had it tested for outdoor tests so that might include artificial weathering test there's a chlorine test there's a seawater test and then a light fastness test so it ticks all those boxes in terms of if i was going to put it on a my yacht it's got imo8 so it passes the upholstery and then i know it passes all these outdoor tests for salt water or um, if i've got a sun lounge next to me pool in florida wherever i can sit on it with wet wet trunks type of thing so there's lots of different tests like that for outdoor that you have to take into consideration interesting oh my god my mind is blown yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much so much information Thank you so much. It's okay. You're going to need a bit of time to let all this sink in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, we've um, covered so many things. You know, British standards of upholstery, marine standards, curtain, uh, curtain standards. Um, we've covered acoustics, LRV, sustainability, cleaning, waterproofing. Amazing. Thank so is, is it worth to have a quick, just like a top tip yeah. to look for definitely. so I would, I would definitely say if i'm a designer now and i'm, and I'm working on schemes and I, I knew it had to be for the commercial environment so your curtains is bs5867 part two b or c so you don't it can be either or or both um your upholstery where i, I think we touched upon it before so you're looking out for two main things. Either it says BS7176, so you know it ticks all the boxes, or BS5852, source 0, 1, and 5. Remember the 5, that's really important. And then if you're going into marine, for your drapery, it's IMO7. And for upholstery, IMO8. And for a bedding, IMO9. If you remember them, and you've got all the certification to show them, then you're all right I'm good. I'm good. and then if you were looking for anything further afield just by chance uh, and just because i know we've not touched upon them um if you're working on projects in france uh, they have their own standard for drapery which is called m1 germany has their own standard which is b1 and anywhere else in europe use a standard for drapery which is called en13773 so just keep an eye out for them if you're working on any projects overseas. Oh, thank you so much. There you go. Font of knowledge. 
I know. Mm, we try. So much information. <laughs> I find a fellow Well, like I said, uh, you know, I'm naturally a creative and not a scientist. And, you know, some of these methodologies, you know, they're the UCAS accredited, so they have to be set, controlled environments. And the fabrics and textiles is, um, you know, a very frustrating thing to work with at times because you might go, all right, well, it's... It's made out of this yarn. It's treated in this way. It should be fine. And then it fails and you have to change the weave again. And then it passes. It's like, oh, but why? <laughs> you know, you just dwell in it if you're doing that. Um, so every year we do all our due diligence testing as well. So batch on batch and so on. So we're always uh, making sure that we're retesting and retesting and retesting existing products as well as new stuff. So Cool. Thank you so much for it's taking awesome. the time to come see us and come stay down the night yeah. just for the podcast. No pleasure. Yeah, and you've absolutely educated us, so thank you. Much yeah. appreciated. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So that was fun. That was really informative. That, um, oh my God, Spencer has his brain. I was listening to him talking, thinking, I wish my brain retained that kind of information. But this, I guess this is why, as designers, you have to use reputable companies. Like I was saying about the whole um, sustainability side of things, you know, you put your trust in them to be doing the best that they can possibly do in terms of their industry mm. of what it is that you know they, they obviously they know what they're doing and they're doing it to the best of their ability and they're conscious about sustainability and they're conscious of everything that goes along with that and then as designers because we have our own things to consider and think about that you lean on them as a way of um you trust direct, them, don't you? like almost like as a way of directing to a point do you know mm. what i mean but yeah i was listening to spencer and just thinking why on earth how can you retain all of that information? <laughs> I think he was. Yeah, I think he was reading a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that he did say was BS7176. And I know that there is a low, medium and high hazard mm -hmm. for BS7176. So low is cigarette match. This is for upholstery. So BS7176 low hazard is the equivalent to BS5852 cigarette match. BS7176 medium hazard is the equivalent to BS5852 cigarette and match plus crib five. And then BS7176 high hazard is crib seven. So it's cigarette and match, crib five and crib seven. Or yeah. I don't think you have to have both crib five and crib seven. You just yeah. have to have crib seven. Yeah. So I, that's the only thing that I think needed sort of clarification because he was just like just look for 7176 but if you yeah. if, if it's 7176 low hazard you are cigarette match which yeah. is domestic um but yeah, yeah i mean uh, but like they're they're just so involved with fabrics and you know, they know it inside out because that is their that's their work isn't it so mm -hmm. um but there is a lot to you know from a design point of view there's a lot to consider isn't there but um yeah really 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 interesting really interesting yeah no thanks guys and and we'll put all of the details of james and spencer in the show notes mm -hmm. so you can contact them if you want to contact james about um being you know having some of their books in your library or if you want to 
furnish your hotel or, or whatever you're whatever you're designing um or if you are um you know from a kind of domestic side of things you like what you've heard and you know you want to try and find their product then it sounds it's like you need online. to head down to Dan Elm and yeah. John Lewis yeah. um, that's really comforting I think from a designer's point I didn't know because you always you know always worry about buying product online you know that's for, for domestic use thinking oh god what, you know is it going to turn up and be absolute shit <laughs> um but to know that you know i live have been part of that design process and manufacture process to a point know that you know you know that you're getting something that's you know that's good quality, quality yeah. yeah definitely so if you like this episode please like share and leave us a review we'd love to hear from you and we love having feedback um if you if you've got any ideas on what you'd like to hear us talk about or anyone you'd like to interview then please get in touch we're on facebook and instagram interiordesign.podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode see you on the next one see you next time